0: Teresa Gibson is um, the Welcome Team Coordinator at the Community Refugee Immigration Services, or CRIS, C-R-I-S. She's gonna share about their organization. That at the end, there will be a time for questions, so be sure to think of a few things as she share. Um, and then also a reminder, our Christmas offering will be going to Chris as well. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Have a seat. I'm gonna come down here. Oh, filled out. I was gone. All right, I'm Teresa. I'm from Chris. How many folks have heard of Chris before? Yeah, it's pretty, it's kind of widespread around the city. We have a lot of refugees. We're... um We've been really busy this year, so I'm from Chris, and our what we want to do most of all is to help refugees and immigrants in Columbus be successful here in Columbus and self-sustaining and independent. And so that's you'll see that motto up there on all on all of our literature. And there's some of our our friends at Chris. I know all those folks. Next slide, please. Oh, this is our uh, holiday card this year. I'll make. Some- this is a family that just showed up. In September, from Jordan, uh, they're Sudanese people. They've been in Jordan for 20 years as refugees. And dad was afraid to get in the picture. There is a dad. But that's one family. Um, it's all her kids. She's got it going on. She's got it. She keeps it together. She's a friend of mine. She's great. And they're just getting their start here in Columbus. I love them. Next slide. Um, we do a lot of things at Chris, and I want to keep this short. Might want to glance through this list. The resettlement is the main thing that we do. That initial period of 90 days when a refugee first comes, then we have all these wraparound services that can last for years for any immigrant. Two, I want to point out that the victims of crime department, anyone that has limited English proficiency, can come to us. We can fill out those police reports. We can help them stable in a domestic violence situation. That's for Seekers, undocumented folks, people who have been here a long time. So please look us up if you hear of that kind of situation. We like to get the word out on that. And we also have a huge mentoring program for kids from the age of 12 all the way up to 24. And so if you know anyone who's an immigrant or a refugee child, it doesn't matter if they came through, Chris, or even if they're just here as an immigrant that would like a mentor, um, please look up our website and and connect with. Jeremy is who you'd connect with for that, and we have other programs as well. So we're here to talk about refugees mostly, and um, I, I think I might have accidentally blacked one. An immigrant is anybody who comes to the United States legally, and there's all kinds of ways you can come. There's all kinds of visas. There's student visas, there's H1 visas, there's family reunification visas, a very big umbrella. But a much smaller umbrella under that is the refugee, and that's any person who has left their country and cannot return or is unwilling to return because they're a fear of well-founded persecution. So that's persecution based on these, and these are what what it's based on, race, religion, nationality, membership in a social group, which could be a political party. It could also be a part of the LBTQ community. It could be a part of... like that. Any any group that puts their lives in danger and also their political opinion. And so we think a refugee is like we watch TV and we watch the Ukrainians and we call them refugees and they are in the general term, but the very specific term is people who have left to another country and made an application with the United Nations High Commission for Refugees to start that process. And so narrowly defined um, those refugees are people who have found the UNHCR, and gone ahead and said, I, I want to be a refugee. Next slide. Oh, I just keep throwing in pictures. That's another, that's another cool family in Sudan. They were, they were refugees for 30 years before they got to come here. So all those kids grew up in a refugee camp. Next slide. Um, an asylum seeker, which we hear about a lot too, they um, claim asylum in the United States under the exact same grounds fear of persecution for race, religion, membership of a a group, or political opinion. However, they start their process in the United States, a United States asylum seeker, or in the UK. So they come across the border, or land in one of our um, port cities by airplane, and then they say, I want to claim asylum. And at that point, they're, they're vetted for a few days, supposed to be only three, most in Texas or in Florida at the border, but some in New York as well. And then they, they make an asylum claim. And if they're granted asylum, they're given a stamp on their passport that they're allowed to be here, attend an asylum hearing, and start the asylum process to prove their case. So that's the difference. Refugees apply from another country and go through all the vetting and all the work, and it takes years. Uh, before they come to the United States as refugees, asylum seekers claim asylum when they cross. Next slide. Very good example, these are my friends. They both came here in July of this year. Well, um, and the family with the crazy hair, uh, they went to Texas, claimed asylum, were seven days in detention. Uh, They were uh, shipped uh, immediately to Washington, D.C., as they do in Texas. Um, And they had talked to somebody in in detention who said, you got to go to Columbus, Ohio. It's a great place to get a start. And they were like, okay, Columbus, Ohio. And the people there said, Columbus, Ohio. Oh, there's a place called Chris. We weren't accepting asylum seekers at the time, um, and we aren't now, but they came on a bus with our names on a paper, and we decided we'd try to see what we could do for them. They are allowed to be in the United States. They are not allowed to work. They are not allowed to open a bank account. They are not allowed to get an ID. They are not allowed to do any of those things. Um, so most asylum seekers stay with family. They are allowed to be here, and so luckily, United—not United, um, United Methodist—Bethel Lutheran Church is is helping out with this family, and they have an asylum hearing at a very tough place in Cleveland um, in June, and then they can appeal it if they're denied, and and they're looking ahead of several years of of processes. Hopefully they'll get a work permit fairly soon since they've been here so long. This other family, they escaped Venezuela and went to Ecuador and went to the UN and claimed asylum. They spent three years working through the, the process of becoming a refugee. And so then when they came to the United States, they have full access as really a citizen would have as a green card holder. They can immediately be on public benefits, they can immediately work, they, they get a social security uh, number upon arrival, and they are basically the same as you and I as far as their status. And so that is the difference. Both of these families left for the same reason, political violence. One family um, went through the process before they came to the United States and are called refugees. The other family is doing that process while they're here. That's called asylum seekers. So I know people get those mixed up, so I like to make that pretty clear. Any questions on that? Okay, there's a bunch of other little categories, too, but I'm going to move on. Next slide. Next slide. I just explained that. Um, So I'm going to focus now on refugee resettlement because that's the main thing we do at CRS. And there's yet another great family of ours, and my colleague Juma, who came here as a refugee 11 years ago and started working for us 10 years ago as a case manager. Next slide. Uh, figures at a glance, these for refugees, this is without Ukraine, so it's about 89.5, about 1% of the world's population are refugees, are, are um, displaced people. A lot of people are displaced internally, like maybe they've left Kiev or they've left uh, North Yemen to go to South Yemen. Um, there's about 27.6 million right now refugees that have claimed refugee status and are trying to to, or, are trying to make their claim to be a refugee. There's a lot of asylum seekers. That number is probably way too low. And the UN does uh, count Venezuelans as its own group because there are so many of them. That's Venezuelans displaced abroad. Next slide. Just so you know the figures. The journey is you, um, you leave your home, uh, often quickly and often under duress, and you go register with the UNHCR and you have kind of life in limbo. And while you have that life in limbo, you go to a lot of meetings, you have to prove a lot of things, you, you get a lot of vetting done, maybe once a year you go back to the RSC, the Refugee Service folks, or the USCIS, and, and you work on those asylum, asylum or claims to come to the United States. Some people decide to go back home, maybe things have calmed down, maybe they, there's a family member they need to take care of and they're repatriated. Many, many refugees integrate into the country that they fled to. I think places like Turkey and Jordan where folks can live a lifetime there and, um, and, and just decide never really get to go to a third country but just try to make a living there and, and live that way. And then um, about a, a lot less are resettled to a third country and the United States is one of those countries and each country has a different process. Next slide. This is a I think this is a Somali family, and it shows the process. And if you can imagine, each one of those steps may last years, and each one of those steps may be a lot of meetings. So you go to the UN, and the UN says, you know, you've got family in the United States, let's send you to the uh, United States refugee service area. And maybe you go back there once a year, you get your old phone records, you prove you, you are who you say you are. If your claims are looking good and things are going well, you get moved on to Homeland Security, USCIS, and then you get really deep vetting, um, and then they make the call, thumbs up or thumbs down. If it's thumbs down, you either go back to the country you've been staying in, or you go to your home country. that TikTok, the game was locked at that point, you can't come back. Um, If you're approved, you go through additional medical testing, additional vetting, and this could also take years. We have a lot of people in that state right now. That state with COVID and with the previous administration kind of shutting things down, even though we say we're taking a lot of refugees, 125,000 this year, we have a lot of folks and they've been approved and they're waiting. Uh, you get some education at that point, you get a little bit of cultural orientation, and then hopefully through one of the, refug- one of the nine refugee agencies, um, if, if there's availability for you and they, they assure you and they take you, the US government takes out a loan in your name on your behalf and buys those plane tickets. So all refugees pay back their t- ticket here. So if anyone ever tells you refugees get a free flight here, they do not, ever. They, um, a lot of them, um, six months uh, on their first day, six months here, they, they owe their first payment on that loan. And for some of these families, like the family you just saw, that's, that's over $15,000. Um, so that's what they're starting with. And then hopefully they come here and they're met by a smaller refugee resettlement agency and hopefully folks like you and, and to start their life. So that's the process of being a refugee. Next slide. People wonder how much money they have to get started. This is a one-time grant that they do not have to pay back. It just got bumped up to twelve seventy-five, dollars and that's per person. So if you're a single mom with one kid, you, are, you have $2,500 right now, and that is all you get. So that's to rent your apartment, to uh, spend until you get on some social services, and, and wait till you get a job. If you're a larger family, it's a little bit better because you've got enough money to maybe pay a few months' rent and, and secure housing and things like that. But that's the one-time grant. That grant money is given to Chris. We have to have them sign for everything. We spend it on their behalf. We don't take any of that money. Our funding is uh, for another way. And at the end of 90 days, anything's left, which there never is, because it's always spent on housing, is given back. Um, Unless it's a really big family. Sometimes big families, um, especially, they they can do that. Next slide. And these are the services that Chris does. Um, Pretty minimal, really, when you think about it. Our case managers, do these services. You'll see there's not drive to the grocery store on there. There's not learn how to use a bus. There's not teach your kids how to use a bus. Our case managers do that, but we uh, rely heavily on volunteers and and sometimes other staff member to do do those kind of things. But we make sure that we meet them at the airport, that they're safe, that they've got a week's worth of food, that we apply for all the cards, take them to all their appointments. Um, get them set up in a jobs program, uh, get them set up in an ESL program, and also give them some cultural orientation. All that's required by law um, those first 90 days. So that's what we do as an agency. Um, but we stick with them really for usually about a year, and they and help them in different ways. Next slide. Uh, so when folks come here, they, they carry something called a 994. It's really the same as a green card and as legal status. Um, they can get jobs. They can travel. They can buy airplane tickets. They can fly on that I-94. At 12 months, they have to turn that into a green card, um, which they will get. And then in four years and nine months, they can take their citizenship, although it takes most people a lot longer because it's expensive and uh, it needs a lot of language. So it usually takes folks closer to 10 years to become citizens. Next slide. Okay, I'm going to stop. Any questions about the process? Really happy to answer it. Yes? What is displaced? Um, where, where did I use that word? Like you, it was like displaced and then refugees. That oh, displaced means they're within their own country. Okay. So yeah, so it's like they've fled a certain part of, of Ukraine to get to another part of Ukraine. So they're still considered displaced persons. They're not living in their home. They're not with their people, but they're not refugees because they haven't gone to the other country. Great question. Um, I want to talk about challenges, and really this is where I'll tell a few stories. How am I doing on time? Oh, perfect. I'll talk about challenges a little bit. Um, really, one of the biggest challenges we're facing in the refugee world right now is that backlog of family members that we're trying to come over. A lot of times it's minor children or brothers or sisters or parents. There's different levels, and there's just a huge backlog of because of... People coming over, and so we're seeing husbands seeing their wife and kids after seven, eight, or nine years. Or we just last week had a, a wife got her husband finally to come, and that she's in her 60s and she's been separated from him for about six years. And so those those are some of the really sad things, and they're also some of the happiest days we have at Chris's when we can reunite a family, and we we want to do that. That's something we want to do as an organization. It's always a big party, so. Um, you may have seen there's been some national news about some of our clients who have had who've had some reunifications um, lately in the last couple of years next slide but let's talk about living in Columbus what what challenges do they face and this is where I like to talk a little bit just tell some stories and maybe talk about what what we can do to help and what what volunteers do to help and what faith organizations do to help so there's a lot of different next slide there's a lot of different um, I'm not gonna talk about all of them. That's last year's Christmas card, love it. Um, Or holiday card. Um, But these are just all the different areas that refugees face, they they come here, and especially in that first year or two, there's just a lot of hurdles to jump. So let's look at just a few of these. Next slide. Everyone wants to learn English. They come off the plane wanting to learn English. I've never met anyone that said, nah, I'm not gonna learn English, but learning English is hard. I lived in Taiwan in the best situation for 10 years, and I'm telling you, I can't get the cab driver to take me home, and I tried, right? I tried, my husband, my son could do it, me and my daughter, we tried, we failed, it was hard. I had to work, I had to make money, I had to make friends, and so when I hear people say like, well, why don't they just learn our language? I've been there, I consider myself an earnest person, and it was hard to learn Chinese for me because I was busy making money, and I was busy keeping my family together, and I was busy figuring out how to live in Taiwan, and I just didn't have time. And so, give folks a lot of grace, and a lot of grace, because it's hard. Um, and then on top of that, a lot of times the kids learn faster, right? The kids learn English faster, or the kids learn to read, and the parents never went to school. We have many illiter- or pre-literate adults. And so that makes kind of a power differential in the family. True story, kid comes home, tells his mom no school for two weeks. It's a break. She wondered why the other kids are going to school, and she called us. And, and it turns out we called the school, and he was suspended. But she couldn't read all the papers coming in. That, is, that kind of thing is common. We're having a big bus change. You guys know about this if you have kids in school? We are freaking out. Most of our clients can't read that app. Most of our clients can't read the mail. Their kids' bus is changing. We've got a list of about 100 families we're concerned about trying to figure out how to get those kids on, on the right bus come January 4th. So that stuff is hard. It's hard to find classes. It's hard if you're a mom. Dad's working. Maybe mom's home with two or three kids. It's hard to find a class that'll let your, your kids go to. It's hard to find a friend that'll be consistent with you over the years and just slowly help you learn. So. It is hard, and, um, but they do, they do learn it. Um, but it takes a while. And that's one of our welcome teams. She ran classes for the boys in the family, then classes for the girls in the family every day for six weeks, and it really helped them get a, get a leg up. Next, next slide. So learning English is hard. Our biggest problem as an organization right now, by far, is affordable housing in Columbus, Ohio. Affordable housing for big families does not exist unless someone gets kicked out of a campus house. Um, We have a family of nine and a family of 10 coming the first week of January, and we don't know where we're gonna put them. So, um, and it's hard for the single moms too. We can't find anything under 1,200, and that's a lot of hours for them to work to keep it going. So that's something. If you know realtors, land, people who, who rent houses, Um, We can assure that rent will be paid. We have um, ways that we grant money and ways that we can do that. We really need affordable housing in Columbus. And a lot of the housing we find kind of comes with their own problems because it's just the only thing we can find. And there's a lot of maintenance requests. A lot of things are only online right now and it's going more and more that way. And so ask a pre-literate family of 10 to go online and fix their sink, very difficult. But we do. We train them how to do that. We're we're working on it. Everyone work on that from the beginning. So, um, so that's just a a problem that they have right now, especially their first year here. It's really tough. After a year's worth of work under their belt, they can. It's it's a lot easier. Next slide. In the last three months, food insecurity has been really difficult. And even though all of our clients do uh, get. BT cards within about three to four weeks. Uh, we have to supplement usually before the, that with community donations. That here is uh, that picture is three people's worth of food for one week for a family from Afghanistan. Um, and so sometimes groups like you will buy the, that food for the first week a person comes and I give them a food list and stuff. They have to go to different grocery stores. Some Muslim families especially have halal requirements for the type of food they eat. That tends to be more expensive. They have to go to other places. And we are such experts, all of us in this room, at saving money on food, right? I mean, would you ever walk into the store and be like, oh, three boxes, buy two boxes, get one free. Would you only buy two boxes? No, you take that third. But in Taiwan, every time I didn't take the third because I couldn't read the sign and some nice lady would run and get me another box of cereal. And, and here, all the, we know how to save money. We know, we know how to use our little cards. We know what brands are cheaper. They're, they're experts on their own lives. They're great folks. They have got their family here, but they are not experts on how to eat cheaply and live cheaply in Columbus, and that's one way our volunteers can really help them. It's also the, about the funnest way we can help them as well. So, but they do face food insecurities. It's not uncommon for us to visit a house after three or four months and see like no food in the house and realize they should have called us. We've got donors. Let's get this family a week's worth of food and see what's going on. Maybe they've lost their their EBT card. Maybe um, other things have happened. So we try to keep tabs on all of that, especially in the first six months. Next slide. It's hard to live in Columbus uh, without a car, and it's hard to use the bus. I've had 40 welcome teams this year. Uh, that's teams that have helped a certain family, and only two of them were brave enough to teach the bus. They're always like, oh, I can't do the bus. Can you do the bus? Um, it's hard. Um, but our, our families do have to require on, on CODA, uh, rely on CODA, and so they need to be trained to do that, to be independent, to go to the grocery on their own and to work. This here is a friend of mine who teaches um, teaches our, our single guys how to drive. Um, so this the guy in the middle, Ali, he was a translator for the U.S., Military, he, he ended up taking these guys, the guy with the blue coat went seven times in a row to pass his test. And on the eighth time he passed it, uh, he already knew how to drive, it was the English. All these guys drove for the US military. So, and we were, we were helping them that day. So, transportation is hard. Um, a lot of times, always the job comes before transportation and so you've gotta figure out those first couple months until you have enough to purchase a car. So Next slide. Schooling's difficult. It takes us about 45 days of real boredom to get kids in school. That was first day of school for the Zula family. You can see how happy those boys were after their first day of school. Um, I think they were staging it uh, for us. But um, it's hard for them. Some some of our clients come with no schooling at all, ever. Some of our clients come having gone to American schools and, and speak English. So it's, it, it really is is a big range. But... It's hard especially in Columbus right now because they have to have ESL. And so a lot of times they're bused very far away from to, to where there's an opening for ESL. And so um, so schooling can be difficult. They also think it's too cold here. The air conditioning's too high and things like that. You'll see that sign, the picture with all the folks in it. That's our um, high schoolers with community connectors. So that's some of, they have a hard time with that. But they do pretty well once they get started. Next slide. Employment in Columbus has been one of our easier things. There are jobs here and there are jobs here for folks who don't have a lot of language skills. It's the transportation that we're running into more. But think about it for a minute. Um, You have a career you like or you at least have a career you worked on. Well, so have most of these folks that come here. They've got a career and they're not gonna work in that career maybe ever and probably for a long time. One time I was teaching class um, it was a job, jobs-ready English class with a Cuban man. Um, he was so sweet, and he was having a hard time. He really struggled with English, and at one point he got so frustrated, he threw his book down, and he looked at me, and he said, I delivered babies in Cuba. And I thought, this guy's a doctor. That's where his identity is. And he's gonna probably be working at Amazon, which is great. But it's folks have lost skill sets. They lost the jobs they knew and loved have to communicate at work and that's difficult. They face racism sometimes, they face uh, finding childcare difficult. all of those things are hard for employment. But most refugees get jobs within the first few months and most of those jobs are, are enough for them to support their families. And so that's something I feel really positive about right now here in Columbus. And we have two programs that help them and a lot of times friends like you help them find jobs as well. Next slide. Probably um, the biggest problem that uh, clients face is just the idea that they've had a lot of trauma in their lives. And it doesn't mean that all of our clients act like they've had a lot of trauma or are in traumatic states, but they have. And it comes up and we like to keep an eye on it. They've got that trauma from whatever reason they fled their family and their loved ones and their house and their pets. That was traumatic. And then the trauma of learning how to make it in another country when you have no status and you're, you you can't be a citizen in that country. And finally, coming back here and being resettled to trauma too. And so at CRIS, we really try to keep an eye on that. We like our volunteers to let us know if they're worried about anybody. And we, we do a lot of talk and about trauma-informed care. It could be as small of things as... The Venezuelan family, we, we put them in a, we found them a great little apartment. We put them in, they, they agreed to it. Gorgeous little apartment near Canal Winchester. And the reason we put them there was because they could go through through the woods um, to Kroger's and not have to go on a big street. That was a bad move. They had just come through three months of woods, not good ones, to get here. So, so it, was, it was that kind of thing. You realize that a lot of little things will come up and, and trauma, loud noises, um, you might say, hey, come to our church picnic today, and they get in the car and they don't know where they're going, that can be traumatic for them. So being trauma-informed is, is something we try to be with all of our volunteers and ourselves, and help them out when we can. Next slide. And I'm very proud, I've only been with Chris a year, but we have vulnerable populations, and we say yes to vulnerable populations frequently. When we see a list of, of refugees that we can say, yeah, we can take them, and, they're, and the dad is paralyzed, or there's. There's a child on the autistic spectrum in the group, or or it's it's a um, a client fleeing some um, um, persecution because they're gay, and we often go, yes, we we want to help this family. I'm proud of my company for doing that, um, but they are vulnerable. We had nine single mom families that have come here since uh, June, and they're struggling. They're struggling. It's tough to be here as a single mom and have and make enough money and figure out how to get to daycare and not have a car yet. Um, a lot of times, folks come with their elderly parents, and they face a whole other myriad of, of health needs and needs. Um, and we all, but we, all of these, we, we want to help them, and we want uh, we want to find volunteers to help them as well. Okay, next slide. Oh yeah. Okay. Usually, this is where I take my. My Chris badge off, which I forgot. Chris is a secular organization. We're so many religions. We have so many people take off. We have to have a couple of those floating religious holidays because I've learned that my Hindu friends take a lot of days off. Um, but we, you know, we definitely are a secular organization. But my job is to work with faith based groups. And in the refugee world, it really was faith based groups for the last hundred years. Our nine refugee national resettlement agencies, our Episcopalian. Um, migration ministries, Jewish social services um, um, church world service, they were all based in faith based things and so um, even though we aren't like that and we want people to volunteer and, and not just try to get people to come to your church and proselytize, we feel strongly that faith based communities, I feel strongly that faith based communities are really at the center of what we do um, and I come from a Christian background I like Jesus a lot um, a whole lot and um, I've always, always loved all those over a thousand verses on on the poor, and how so many verses have what you see there: don't oppress the widow, the orphan, the foreigner, and the poor. And for refugees, they're often a trifecta of those things: they are often widowed, they are often, um, they are always poor almost always poor, and they all, all will face both cultural difficulties and racism by the fact that they came here, both at a societal level all the way down to just hometown Columbus, Ohio, what people decide to say about our certain immigrant groups that are here and, and the bad stuff. And so I think as a faith community and me personally, I feel like I'm right at the heart of what God's doing. I'm right at the heart of what God's doing because this, this is where he wants us, right? He wants us helping these folks out. Next slide. Okay, back on secular job. Okay, <laughs> I hope no one's watching. Please. Um, I'm allowed to do that. Um, to, I'm going to end with not just the sad stuff. Um, you know, our refugees in our community. I hope you noticed have done great, right? Right? I was I in my ESL class. I had the very first Somali family to ever come to Columbus in the early. Well, it was a long time ago. I'm going to say. And then I worked with Somalis for quite a while and Cambodians, and like 100 years ago, I started out in this field. And um, when the Somalis first started coming, they started living around the Agla Road area. Do you remember that? If you're old enough, you remember it. It was an area that was just empty. The economy was doing better places, kind of bad places had cleared out. They had moved in. And I left, I left the country in 2002, really, and was gone until 2015. And I came and went and stuff, but I didn't pay attention. But when I came back, in 2002, I'm teaching these, my Somali friends so that are just getting their first cars and they're, they're struggling, they're poor. When I came back in 2016 and I go to the doctor, the resident's Somali, right? When I take my mom, I took my mom to work on, uh, on some legal paperwork and the secretary was Somali. And then I started realizing in less than a generation, these folks that really had nothing when they came to my classroom, they were doing great. Their kids had gone through college, they were buying houses. they were bringing family members here. They were thriving, and we can say that about every community that's come here. We can say that about the Bhutanese. you know Columbus is the largest number of Bhutanese people in the world outside of Bhutan second largest number of Somalis outside Somalia so um, and they're thriving they're doing great in our communities next slide just uh, Just some figures that you can throw out in case anyone says otherwise. In Franklin County, uh, refugees and immigrants uh, attend college at the same rate as everybody else. Refugees are twice as likely to start a business and they are more likely to be in the workforce population. There's different studies on it, uh, depending on where they came from and their literacy and things like that. It can take up to 20 years to kind of get to the standard of where you would be if you were born here. But it takes way less than that to pay back in your taxes what you've, you've taken. It's usually under nine years. And, and um, With the last round of folks we got from Afghanistan, it's just amazing. They're working and doing great. So um, they've had a great impact here in Columbus and across the country, and they are not a drain on our economy in any way. So, next slide. And they've become homeowners and business owners and all these great restaurants around that you see and a lot of small businesses and they're running for offices, and they, they're going to college, and they're community leaders, and we love them, and I work with a lot of those community leaders also work for Chris. So, um, it's, it's a, Columbus is a successful place to be for a refugee, and a lot of it, it's because of the faith communities here and the neighbors here and things like that. All right, do you guys want to go to questions, or you want to look at a few more slides? Oh, why am I asking you? It's like I'm a teacher. Next slide, oh, so I'm sorry, it's teacher for too long. Uh, we have a lot of volunteer opportunities, next slide. I can send you all this, you can look at it, next slide. Uh, welcome team's what I do, I, I love welcome teams. Welcome teams is where I, I maybe get one church or neighborhood community or two or three church or neighborhood communities together. We work on it for a few months, we figure out who the experts are, we find experts in helping with schools and experts with helping with housing and we come together and we, we meet a family at the airport and we walk through life with them those first six months. Chris still does the hard stuff, we still do the government stuff, we still do the social security stuff, but the welcome team becomes their friends and has experts in different areas to help them make it. Those families do much better. They do so much better. Um, It's not easy, but if there's a big enough team of people, um, it's really fun. So uh, we had 42 welcome teams this year, we won't have nearly as many last year. That was because Afghanistan was in the news so much that people signed up online, to, and so I was able to put a bunch of them together. So this year um, this year my goal is to work with groups of faith-based communities to be welcome teams. There's my spiel, I could go on and on, next slide. There is one about the teams before the family came. That's a group of neighbors from Bexley. And they just took a. They just helped out a family of ten. They, that family only needed help for about a month. They had family in town. They were good to go. They set up their house for them. Next slide. That uh, this this is Central College's group. Um, their kid, one of their kids, won our our 5K race for kids. Um, they've just had a great time with these guys. Six months they're out in Westerville. Next slide. This is the Venezuelan family that came. Um, they already both have jobs at DHL. They're on their own. They're doing fine. It took about four months, and they're still super close with their welcome team. Next slide. We also have arrival teams, um, and that's less commitment. That more has to do with setting up the house. Maybe one or two, you know, furnishings, the kind of stuff you send your kid away to college with, right? You know, like the three baskets of dishes and stuff, and then maybe a week's worth of food, things like that. Next slide. And that's it. All right, now we can go to questions. Is there anything I missed? I don't think so. Do you have any questions for me on how this all works? We have lots of volunteer opportunities too, a lot of one-time things and a lot of, um, yeah. And, and you guys can also decide as a group, I can, I can talk to Joe about where specifically you want that Christmas donation to go to, a month's rent or some of that food, cards, or yes, go ahead. Yeah, community. Uh, and the other reason I asked. Well, Go ahead. I asked court system, the court system, and one of the things that we found is that sometimes if they didn't have a network, uh, a, a strong L role model, kind of items, sometimes they would maybe get sucked into right. activity and things like that just because they had such an overwhelming need to belong. Yeah, we have a huge mentoring program with a couple hundred students, and our clients are always in it. Um, but it starts at about nine, it's about the youngest. And so Jeremy, it's Jeremy and Juma, and they keep track of everybody and make sure they get mentors from Ohio State. Um, so I'm worried about the newest group that's come in. It was a lot of single moms that came this summer. and They all had young boys, and um, luckily they're all kind of banning together, but um, helping each other get jobs and stuff. But it, but we do have that. It's called Community Connectors, and that's what we do. Right. Yes? We use the furniture bank. Um, we like to get donations because we got money to buy a truck, and I got to buy a truck, and that was the best thing I ever did and got paid for in my life. But anyway... Um, We love donations if we don't have storage. So if if you call and say, I've got a couch before you call Furniture Bank and we're moving someone in within a couple days, I will personally come get that couch. Um, And then if a a family has a welcome team, about one in five families get a welcome team, often the church community will just gather together that stuff. So that's the three ways. Donations straight to us if we can use them, Furniture Bank, and uh, welcome teams. And we always need new sheets, we always need thick, thick blankets. We always need them. I can't express more how much we always need those, so. We always need pots and pans. So. Yes? Do you work with any corporate companies from this to help? Yeah, sponsor you lots. Get yeah, that's my boss's job, it seems real fun. Um, <laughs> Um, Cover My Meds gave us the coolest bags of toys, brand new toys for 150 kids. So every child that came last year was able to get toys. We work with Nationwide, we work yeah, we, we work with the Columbus Foundation and, and then whoever is working with them and kind of secondary grants. Um, but I don't know quite what he does, but he does that. And we would love to meet more people if you have any in mind. So, we also have little day activities. Sometimes a company will come to us and say, what we do is, and we'll be like, well, I tell you what, we'll go buy the food. Can you guys assemble and deliver these food packs? And we will do that for a company as well. And yeah. After event, after, or hour event. Um, yeah, all of those would be on a, sat- on a Saturday. And also, um, we have a lot of needs for after uh, after hours, just making friends with clients, just, you know, meeting them, having, there's a little bit of a process. You've been through about half of it, um, but other, that's all it is. All right, I don't want to keep oh. OK, I did pretty good. That was an hour and a half thing that I cut down yesterday. <laughs> really good stuff. Any more questions? A lot of our clients now are from uh, Democratic Republic of Congo, but we are getting another Afghan family and we're getting a Syrian family and we're getting another Syrian family. what was that 10 person family and there's and we're getting a I just saw him come through PK what would PK Pakistan uh, another Afghan family so that's what we're looking at in in January um, and I'm sure. A lot of times the Congolese families have family here and they don't need community support as much, maybe just some food and stuff like that. So but a Syrian family is not gonna have family here. All right. You guys are awesome. This was fun. I think I'm gonna come here for Christmas Eve.